Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity, as always, to gather together and not only be reminded by the songs that we've sung and the purpose of us gathering together and glorifying you, but God, because that would be enough, but it is also helpful to us for us to be reminded, for us to refocus our eyes, to fix our eyes, as Hebrews 12 says, on the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we thank you that not only did you start it in us, you started this faith, you brought it to life, but God, you're gonna complete it. And so our job is to just keep our eyes on you, and that is why we gather to Remind ourselves of that. And I pray, God, that that is what would happen. As we open up your word now, God, I pray that we would be reminded of what you have done. And then in and on that truth, God, that we would stand and, and we would focus our attention, reminding ourselves, God, that the way we win is we lose. The way we get life is we give up and allow you to take control. So that's what we ask you to do today. I ask you to take control of this time. My words, God, help me to preach in a way that honors you and is helpful to us and then help all of us, God, to, to hear it and to see the truth because, God, we know unless you open our eyes and ears, unless you fill us with your spirit today, we can't. So that is what we ask as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 12. We just had the verses from last week on the screen, verses 20 through 26. And so we're going to pick up right where we left off, verse 27. If you weren't here last week, and as always, you can go watch those messages online. And, and the reason why we like putting up those verses on the screen, one is it just kind of gives us a moment in our gathering to just kind of stop and, and reflect. You know, everything is so busy, even at church. It can get limited and busy. We come in, we move out, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we always like taking a little bit of moment when we can in the middle just to take a deep breath and to look at the verses and meditate on them. But also, we like to bring back your attention to what we just preached last week because we're going to pick up where we left off. And this is one of those moments, one of those weeks where verse 27 is really going to pick up right in the same flow that we were in last week. And the admonition last week was Jesus telling these new people, these Greek people that were coming to him to believe in him, to what, it, what in essence what it means to be a believer, to see yourself as a seed is what we said. And, and seed is about self-sacrifice. And so he said, whoever loves his life is going to lose it. And I told you that that was about your mindset. It's the Greek word psyche. It's whoever loves their mindset is going to lose their minds. And I think it's pretty safe to say we can see how we live in a world where people done went and lost their minds, y'all. Right? And it's, and it's easy to see that out there in the world, but so often it's hard to see it in ourselves. But that, that truth, that maxim that Jesus gave us last week is true for all of us. Listen, if we fall in love with our own mindsets, we're going to lose our minds too. But the promise that he gave us, but if you give up your life, if you deny yourself, if you follow me, then you will gain it and the Father will honor you. 
And so that was the path that we talked about last week and the promise at the end of it. But what we're going to see this week is this is the exact same path that Jesus took. And in that path was his purpose, which is true for us as well. So let's go verse 27 and 28, and we'll stop and chat about it. This is Jesus talking. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Let's read that again, but I want you to say purpose with me. For this what? Purpose. That was pretty good. Pretty good. Still a little sleepy. I know we're off tomorrow. All right, but let's try it again. Come on, both locations. For this what? Purpose. purpose. Much better. I like that. I like some energy, all right? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will again. So let's chat about this. Again, we talked last week, if you were here, about this path that Jesus says, and you know, unless a grain of wheat, unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it does, it bears much fruit. And Jesus is now saying that this is the same path that he has to take, and he's actually troubled with it. He's actually struggling with it. And the reason why I think it's important for us, and I think why Jesus said this to us, is he wants us to know, listen, this path is hard, y'all. This path is tough. And I think so quickly, especially if you grew up in church or you've been around church for a while now, we can just look at the story of Jesus, see what he did, Christmas, Easter, I got it, right? And kind of blow past the humanity of it all. And the thing that is so miraculous about Jesus is, yes, he was God. He was God before he became human. But he also became human. And he wasn't 50% God and 50% human that made up 100% person. He was 100% God and 100% human, two natures. But also I think it's important to distinguish that his divineness, his godness was limited. And here's what's crazy. His divineness didn't empower his humanness. And what I mean by that is it's not like he had an extra special thing that we don't have. And we look at Jesus, you're like, well, I could never do that. You're right. You couldn't because he's Jesus. But here's the point. He didn't use his divinity, his second person of the Trinity, to empower his humanity because that would be cheating. And, and the reason why I'm pointing this out is because he did it in his humanity the same way that we have to do it in our humanity by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he needed the third person of the Trinity, which is why when he was baptized, the Bible says the Father spoke, you see the Trinity there, and then the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And so he had to be empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit, just like we do. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because I think sometimes we can miss that Jesus as a human struggled. He struggled. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because I think there's a lot of times we struggle and we think God is mad at us. We think it's a sin just to struggle. To struggle under the weight of responsibility that we might have. To struggle under the weight of trying to live 
this path that God has for us. And the reason, again, why I'm pointing this out is I just want you to see that Jesus himself struggled. Now, hear what I'm saying and not saying. I'm not saying struggled with sin. I'm not saying that. He was tempted in every way that we're tempted, the Bible says, but he never sinned. But he did struggle in his humanity with the weight of what God had called him to do. He struggled. And the reason why this is important is because if you're going to stay on this path that God calls us to, this path of self-denial, this path of self-sacrifice, you need to know it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And, and this is, and again, I've been pastoring for over 20 years now. I can't tell you how many people I have seen get taken out because they thought it was going to be easier than it was. Like, well, this is, if this is what following God is, I'm out. If this is how tough it is, I'm out. Or the moment some conflict happens or something happens in their life that it didn't go the way that they think it should, they stop. And I think it's important, and this is why I want to pastor you well, because when you hit those roadblocks, I don't want those roadblocks to take you out because you think somehow God lied to you when you need to look at the, Jesus, the, the story of Jesus and realize, no, he didn't lie to you. In fact, he wrote to you the exact opposite of what it would be like. Jesus said, listen, in this world, you will have troubles, but I'll be with you. So he never promised that we wouldn't have troubles. In fact, he promised that we would. And that right there is like, well, no one told me. I know, maybe your pastor didn't do a good job. Maybe your mama, you know, sugarcoated it for you. I don't know, but I want to be straight with you as straight as I can be. You're going to have troubles. Yeah. Jesus was troubled. But here's the promise. And this is a promise that no other religion, no other leader can give you. A, he experienced the trouble, and B, he beat it. And so he can get you through it. See, he had troubles. But how did he get through? This is important. He says, but for this purpose, I have come. For this purpose. See, there's this interplay here that I think is important that we understand that pain goes lockstep with your purpose. Pain goes lockstep with your purpose. What do I mean by that? The further you walk into your purpose, the more painful it's gonna be. And listen to me the degree to which you walk into your purpose is determined by the degree to which you can handle pain. You need to know that. The closer Jesus got to his purpose, which he's gonna tell us in a second what it was, the more painful it got for him. And this is what we need to understand. When my son was younger, I uh, made him read a book by two Christian teenagers, and I've, it's kind of been a mantra that we've told him ever since, but this book was called Do Hard Things. And I've tried to instill in him early. We used to joke, and I was like, boy, I'm taking you through toughness camp. And so it was always toughness camp. He's got to do this thing. He's got to do that thing. And I always told him, 
Run to the hard thing. Do the hard thing. Why? Because you can almost take it to the bank. The harder it is, the more purpose there is attached to it. But the reason, watch this, the reason why a lot of us aren't walking in our purpose is because the pain took us out. We thought, well, I thought walking with God was supposed to be easy. I thought God loved me. And somewhere along the way, maybe someone lied to you or you misunderstood that you thought that walking in your purpose, walking in, if you grew up in church, you know this, in the center of God's will. Like, we're so Christian, we don't want God's will. We want the center of it, right? I just want, I don't want to be in God's will. I want to be in the bullseye. I don't want to hit the outer rings, the center ring. Well, here's what you need to know. In the center of God's will, in the center of God's purpose and plan for your life is pain. Why? Because not only... Is there evil, and we'll talk about this in a second, there's evil forces coming against you in your purpose. But in order to fully experience and exercise your purpose, pain is necessary. Because what you begin to realize that ultimately God's purpose is not to get you to a place a place of, oh, I want to be married, or I want this job, or I want this house, or I want to live in this place. Almost always, that is how we define purpose, more by destinations, places. But what you begin to realize is God's purpose is not to get you to a place as much as it is to get you to be a type of person. Not to get a person to a place, but get a place, a state of mind, a state of being into a person. And Jesus himself struggled with that. He's like, man, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He says, but for this purpose, for this purpose, again, pain and purpose go together. And they also increase in measure. This is why one of the greatest examples that the Bible gives us is pregnancy. And those of you moms that have given birth, you know. The pain increased, didn't it? The closer you got to the birth of purpose, the pain increased. I mean, to the point where, thank God for epidurals, right? Saved my life <laughs> and probably my marriage, <laughs> right? Because I'm trying, I'm trying to help Lindsay through this whole thing. And, and I've joked about this before, but someone told us you're supposed to listen to classical music and it calms you down. And I'm trying to put headphones on her head to calm her down. And she's like, I don't want it. I'm like, but you need it because you're crazy. Here you go. <laughs> I don't want it. Literally through the CD player. Remember those? across the room. Why? Because she's in the midst of arguably the greatest pain in her life. But then out comes purpose. And those of you that are parents as well, you know that you just entered into a different kind of pain too. Right? 
And this time, not quite so physical as it is emotional and spiritual. Why? Because what you also see is God's greatest purpose in your life is not just to shape you as a person, but to shape another person into the image and likeness of God. And so I just wanna help you see that your purpose is, has, you have to keep that front and center or the pain will take you out. And that's how Jesus did it. He says, but for this purpose, for this reason, I came. Now, he says this, Father, glorify your name. And, and what's interesting is Jesus, and this is a command. Well, Jesus is God. You know, he's the second person of the Trinity. He's talking to the first person of the Trinity. Glorify your name. And he commands him, which we can't command God, but God can command God. And it's interesting. God says back, oh, I will. I've done it before. I'm going to do it again. And this is where you have to connect purpose as well to the glory of God. It's interesting to me that Jesus said, for this purpose I came, and he says, Father, glorify your name. Why? Because our ultimate purpose is to bring glory and honor to God. And in order to live in our purpose, we have to endure pain, but what holds us in in our purpose is to say, God, I am working for something that's greater, that's greater than anything in this world, and that's you for your glory and honor. And here's how I wanna connect this to you to last week's message as well. I told you, or Jesus told you, that the Father will honor you. Here's what's amazing. If you honor him, you glorify him, he will honor you. Why? Because the glory of God is the highest good. And not only is the highest good, if you've ever read verses in the Bible where it talks about God being a jealous God, he's not jealous like a middle school boy. And people wrestle with that word. He's not jealous in the sense of like, he's vying for attention. And if you don't give him attention, he's mad. No, he's jealous because he knows there is no other purpose on this planet that is higher than glorifying him because he's the greatest good. And watch this. He also knows that there is no other purpose on this planet that will bring you the most joy. And so God is out for his own glory. Why? Because God is out for your joy. He knows there's no one, nothing on this world that can bring you more purpose and joy than him. And so therefore, just like a good parent, he will fight you for him. He will come against you so that you can understand that the reason why your life lacks purpose because it terminates on yourself. It doesn't terminate on him. Look, look at what I mean. Look at the next verse. The crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thundered, which always makes me laugh. People are like, I want to hear God speak. And I read verses like that. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because thunder's scary, y'all. As my daughter used to say when she was younger, thunder. There ain't nothing fun about thunder. It's scary, right? We got to give our dog medicine just so she can get through it. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. But look, verse 30, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Watch this. Even in the midst of Jesus, in this hour, in his greatest pain, was looking out for you. 
He said this, the father said this, not for his benefit, because he already knew. Jesus knew that the father was gonna glorify his name. The father knew that Jesus was going to fulfill his purpose because God can't lie. God can't fail. God doesn't sleep. And so he speaks to him, the father speaks back, not for Jesus' benefit, but for ours. Why? So that hopefully we could see the greater picture that was going on. And what was the greater picture? Look at what Jesus says next. He's going to explain why this voice came. Verse 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I told you that God was out for his glory because it's the source of our greatest joy, which is why Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross. He knew that on the other side of his purpose and pain was joy, was glory. They go together. And he's explaining what's going on here. And the reason why this is so important is because I want to dig in a little bit to what Jesus says, because if we can understand what he was saying, then we can apply this same truth and principle to our life. Jesus says, talking about glory, talking about purpose. Now, this is the judgment of this world. Now, if you were here back in, I think it was week 12 of John and John chapter three, we talked about this word judgment. So you may have heard this before, but maybe you haven't. But interestingly enough, this word here, judgment, in the Greek is literally the Greek word crisis. K-R-I-S-I-S. Now, you guys are smart. What English word do you think we get our word from this word? Which one? You, I told you, you're smart. Crisis. We just spell it with a C, not a K. And I don't know if it's because we don't speak the Queen's English or what it is, but we just brought it over to C. Crisis. So you could read it like this. Now is the crisis of this world. Now is the crisis. And here's what I want you to see. Judgment and crisis go together. Here's what I mean. God loves us so much and he wants us to walk the path of our purpose, which does involve pain, to get to glory because it leads to joy, then he will bring crisis in our life. See, I talked about this when we first went into COVID because, again, as there's cliches that Christians say a lot of times that just bug me as a pastor. And one of the things that bugged me the most when COVID first started happening was how many Christians are like, this is from the devil. This is the devil. The devil brought this. I mean, they didn't say it like that, but that's how I interpreted it. And, and I'm saying this because, and this is, sometimes this blows people's theological minds. I think COVID came from God. You say, well, hold up, God, I'm not saying God did evil. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not, men, is, men are responsible. Here's what I'm saying. I think God allowed it to happen to create a crisis as a form of judgment to show us we better open our eyes. You better see 
What's if you read the book of Revelation, see, everybody gets all fascinated about the book of Revelation, and we'll talk about that at some point, eschatology and all that kind of stuff, and people start looking for signs and signs and blood moons, and this happens, and China, and dragons, and Russia, and all this stuff, but what's interesting, in the first few chapters of Revelation, when Jesus writes, or John writes these letters, the same guy, by the way, to these seven churches, what's interesting is there's one thing that's repeated, and I think is the whole point of the book. He says, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's the point. The point of apocalyptic literature, which is what the book of Revelation is, and it's not Revelations, it's singular. It ain't Walmarts, it ain't Kroger's, all right? It's Revelation. The point of the book is this crisis upon crisis upon crisis is coming. Are you listening? Judgment upon judgment upon judgment is coming. Are you listening to what the Spirit is saying? The scariest thing to me is not that we went through COVID. The scariest thing to me is not a toilet paper shortage or a baby formula shortage or a wheat shortage or a gas shortage, whatever it is. All those are scary. I'm not saying they're not. The scariest thing to me is that none of those things will open people's eyes to their purpose, which is glorifying God. See, Jesus says, for this judgment, I came. For this crisis, I came. And then he says this, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Here's what you have to understand, what we have to understand. Our greatest crisis is not these judgments that come like this. Because there has to be consequences. This is Romans 1. Romans 1 says, God gave us over. You ever heard the country song, some of God's greatest gifts are what? Unanswered prayers. Yes and amen. I like it. If that wasn't the case, I, you know, I probably would have been married to somebody else and not at this church before I ever met Lindsay. Thank God he didn't answer those prayers. But you know what I've also realized? Some of God's greatest judgments are answered prayers. You prayed for this and you got it. And it ain't making you happy like you thought it would. See, what Jesus is talking about here is crisis upon crisis is coming to open your minds to your greatest crisis that's coming. And what's your greatest crisis? It's not the judgment that happens in this world. It's the judgment that will happen before God. That's your greatest crisis. Your greatest crisis is the moment of your greatest crisis. Judgment. See, judgment and crisis go together. I mean, it's one thing to stand before a human judge. It's one thing to stand before a female judge that's there, or male judge, and you know that you've messed up and they have the ability to punish you. But you also know that that, that judge is also a human and has sinned and made mistakes. But when you stand before a holy judge, not a human judge, but a holy one who's never made mistakes and is judging you against that standard, that's your greatest crisis. 
If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Here's the point of the whole message. Jesus Christ took on our greatest crisis. Jesus Christ took on our greatest crisis. And what he's saying here is, listen, judgment is coming now. This hour that I'm here, my purpose is to take on this crisis. And here's what you have to understand. Jesus couldn't cast out the ruler of this world until he took on that crisis. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus didn't have the power or ability to cast out, because obviously he's talking about the devil. But here's what you need to see. Jesus couldn't cast it out until he had paid the price. Because the scene here is one of a courtroom. And the Bible talks about the devil as our accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so one day in the judgment before God, I will stand there, you will stand there, and the accuser will be there accusing you. And here's the problem. Everything that he's saying will be true. I don't know about you, but I'm so sinful, homeboy don't have to make up lies about me. Anybody else feel me on that one? All he got to do is, is say the headlines of my life. And see, here's what you need to see. It's not just sin that damns you to hell. And that's a Bible word. It's unforgiven sin. See, Jesus couldn't cast out the accuser until he paid for what he was accusing you of. So he took on the crisis, and this is where people you know, wrestle sometimes because, because the Apostles' Creed says Jesus on the cross and then he was into the ground. Personally, I don't believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that his soul went to hell and he took the keys there. I don't think that's what happened. One, because he told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. But two, hell, and I've said this often, is not so much about a place. I'm not saying it's not a place, but it's more about the punishment. See, the cross was hell. John says, he said this, I must be lifted up to show what kind of death he was gonna die. It was on the cross that the judgment of God came down on Jesus. That was hell. He paid for it. And don't you know, this is what's the most amazing, the Bible even speaks about this, that the devil thought, see, that this is how God uses sinful choices of human beings. He, he used the sinful choices. The devil so, saw, oh my gosh, Jesus, the son of God, he knew who he was. He's here. Let's kill him. But you want to know what the devil didn't know? The devil didn't know he would resurrect. The Bible says God even hid it from all the angels. And so the devil's like, kill him, kill him, crucify him. And he empowered people to say that's what he does. He influenced them. And so, you know, on Friday, the devil's like, we got him. We won. Friday night, they're high-fiving. Saturday, they're like, who are we going to go get now? But then Sunday came. The devil didn't know. The angels didn't know. The disciples for sure didn't know. Because they try to stop it from happening. Peter was like, no, and cuts off a dude's ear. Why? 
Watch this. Peter missed purpose because Jesus was about to endure pain. And so Peter inflicts pain instead of trying to endure pain. Oh, how we hurt people. And Jesus, he's like, heck on, Peter. Puts the ear back on. You're missing it. I must suffer. And here's, see, all of us want the resurrection, but none of us want the death. But here's where I'm saying all this to you. Once you see that Jesus solved your greatest crisis, took on your greatest judgment, cast out the accuser, you no longer live in crisis anymore. See, it's one thing to have a crisis. We all have crisis. It's another thing to live in crisis. Think about just the events of the last couple weeks that have happened. I mean, two evil 18-year-olds, I won't even say men because they're boys. One in Buffalo, New York, goes into a predominantly African-American supermarket and kills people, kills image bearers of God because he done lost his mind. Another one goes into Uvalde, Texas and kills elementary school children, teachers. Lost his mind. And that created crisis, didn't it? Unimaginable crisis. And we look at that and people start pontificating about what the problem is. And listen to me, this is not a political message, so don't take it that way. And we can talk solutions and depending upon your uh, political persuasion, that's fine. But all those are symptoms of a greater problem that those two men, sorry, those two boys obviously had some kind of crisis going on. And so they created crisis. Why? Because they didn't know that their greatest crisis had been solved. And yeah, they faced judgment. But let me connect this for you. Look how Jesus goes. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 34. The crowd answered him, we have heard that the, that the, from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? See, they understood that Jesus was talking about here, death. But look at Jesus' response. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Interesting, Jesus talking about crisis, talking about judgment, talking about casting out the accuser, and they say, hold up, you talking about death and the son of man here, and then Jesus responds like this, like I told you, he always responds in ways we didn't expect, he starts talking about light. Why? Here's what's amazing, the same thing with truth. John 14, which we'll get into later, maybe by, you know, 2025. I don't know. No, we'll be there later this year. But Jesus says, rather famous verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the way to life is through the truth. But interestingly enough, at other points in this gospel, Jesus says, we've already seen it. He says, I am the light. And the light is the life of men. The way, the truth, the life. And so if I want life, I have to walk through the truth. If I want truth, then it's going to be the light. So here's what's amazing. The truth 
or the light isn't just a precept or a principle, it's a person. And we now know that darkness isn't a thing in and of itself. Darkness is simply the absence of a thing, which is why, thank God for electricity, right? When you walk into your house and you hit a, a light switch, an alternating current, the light comes on and there's not some epic battle between the light and the dark, is there? The, not, the light's not like, okay, listen, darkness, sorry, bar's closed, you gotta go. And the darkness is like, no, I don't wanna go. I don't know if you ever think like this when you flip on light switches, but I do. Because when the light shows up, does the darkness have a choice? No. Because, and this is why I don't believe in yin yang and, you know, kind of Eastern thought and theory about life, because this isn't some epic battle between light and darkness, because darkness isn't a thing. It's only the absence of a thing. But here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Darkness isn't just the absence of a thing. It's the absence of a person. You want to know why those two kids had such darkness in their hearts because there was an absence of a person and crisis was created within them because the absence of a person and then they go and create crisis because of an absence of a person. See, Jesus says, why you have the light walk? Why? Because light is directly related to being in relationship with Jesus. So let me say it to you like this. If there's a lot of darkness in your life, a lot of darkness in your heart, a lot of darkness in your marriage, it's because there's an absence of the presence of Jesus there. Because when Jesus shows up in a relationship, darkness has to flee. When, when Jesus shows up in your heart, darkness has to flee. When Jesus shows up in your mind, why do you think Romans 12 says, Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. People lost their minds because of the absence of a person. See, that's what Jesus is saying. And my plea for us is, I pray that these crises that keep happening will point us to the real problem it's the absence of the presence of Jesus. And that's why the world is so dark. Look at Genesis 4, 7. We've just been talking about, sadly, the murder of innocent people. But listen to Genesis 4, 7. This was said right before the first murder occurred in the Bible. God is talking to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen to this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, which that phrase contrary means wants to control you, but you must rule over it. And darkness overcame Cain and he killed his brother. First murder in the Bible. And God gave a warning to him before he did it. Church, we need to understand something. Even though I've been describing darkness as not a thing in the material world, but you need to understand there is a power behind the darkness. And darkness has desires. Did you know that? Darkness has desires. Which, interestingly enough, the Bible even talks about people like to sin in the dark. You know, freaks come out at night. 
Why? Because darkness loves darkness. And thinking under the cover, it's not like it only happens at night, but there's something in us that like when it's dark, we think we're hidden, but the Bible says darkness is as day to God. But darkness has desires and its desires is contrary to you, which means it wants to control you, but you have to rule over it. What's interesting to me is this phrase here, you must rule over it, sounds similar to what Jesus said back in verse 31 when he says, now the ruler of this world, ruler, rule. See, there must come a moment in each one of our lives where the ruler of our heart the devil behind the darkness is also cast out. Because if that doesn't happen, darkness will rule over you. And here's what I'm saying to you. You and I can't rule over the darkness that's in our hearts unless Jesus kicks the ruler out. You can't do it by sheer willpower. Have you tried that one yet? Yeah, I have. I'm going to try harder. You can't do it. And so here's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. You don't overcome the darkness by trying harder. You overcome the darkness by believing deeper. Let's go back to John 12. Let me show you what I mean here. Jesus says in verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light. Believe. Pistuo, put your trust and faith in so that you might become sons of the light. When Jesus had th said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. See, here's the problem. On our path, on this purpose path that we're on to glorify God, our heart, our life will never stay on that path if it's being ruled by the ruler of this world. So Jesus came in, solved our greatest crisis, paid our price for our sin, drop kicked the devil out, cast him out, so that now the darkness in your heart, all you have to say is, Jesus, I believe you, and Jesus will cast him out. So the reason why it's so important for us to understand the truth of the gospel is if you don't dwell and meditate on the fact that your greatest crisis has been solved, then you'll be a person that lives in crisis and creates crisis wherever you go. Because you don't understand that your greatest crisis has been solved. Because see, Jesus said those that are in the dark don't know where they're going they knock it over. They knock people over. Crisis after crisis after crisis, we have a crisis because we don't understand that Jesus overcame our greatest crisis, which was our own darkness. Let me leave you with this verse. First John, same guy, verse five. Let me say it to you like this, verse four and five. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? See, no politician can cast out darkness. No law will cast out darkness because we are lawbreakers. The only thing that will overcome the crisis that we're facing, the only thing that will overcome the darkness in our own hearts is when a new ruler steps in, a new, more powerful ruler. See, the Bible talks about the devil. He is powerful. And the Bible says you cannot go at him directly, which is why James 4 says, submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you can't resist the devil. You can't resist the darkness. You can't do that on your own. That's why you have to submit to God. But if you submit to God and the devil comes in with his lies and darkness and you can say one of our favorite phrases, not today, Satan. You have no rule and reign here. You're not the ruler anymore. You can accuse me. Everything you're saying is right. But he paid for it. And since he paid for it, you can't judge me. Because he's been judged for me. And that solves this dilemma of darkness in my heart where I know my greatest crisis has been solved. And when I stand before the great white throne judgment of God, God will say, welcome. Because Jesus will stand up and say, paid. See, until you believe that, your heart will live in such darkness that you will create such crisis. And God is bringing those crises as a form of judgment. And so all I'm saying to you is, church, open up your eyes. See what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We have a problem. And a lot of times it is men who have a problem. Especially young men who have a problem. Why? Because men are the worst at submitting to someone else. Men are the worst at saying, I need a new ruler. What if the men stood up and said, like G.K. Chesterton said, when in the UK, local paper said, big headline, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, who was a Christian author, wrote back and said, Dear sirs, I am. See, what's wrong with those men is what's wrong with every man and every woman. You got the wrong ruler. And Jesus came and solved your greatest crisis so that that darkness could be cast out. You could have freedom. Walk in your purpose, knowing that you will see the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. And God, even in the midst of crisis, like what we faced, God, let us be reminded that the problems that we are facing in this world 
stem from us trying to be our own rulers. We created this darkness. But thank you, God, that you laid down your life. Just like this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, we celebrate the men and women who have given their lives in this country for us to have freedoms. The reason why, God, that is so honorable is because it mirrors your path. You gave your life. You took judgment and crisis on yourself to give us freedom, but a greater freedom, freedom from darkness. And so God, we pray right now that you would cast out darkness and the ruler of darkness in men and women's lives as they believe in Jesus. No one looking around or talking here as we close, if you've never trusted in Jesus, then you've never had your greatest crisis solved and you will continue to live in a state of crisis until you understand that. But Jesus took your judgment on the cross and now if you have faith in him, he will cast out the ruler of your life. So if you wanna trust in Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. He took my judgment. He took my crisis on the cross. And I'm believing in him. So in faith, God, I ask Jesus to cast out the ruler of my heart the darkness in my life and the presence of the light Jesus himself lives in me now. No one looking around or talking, if you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? We got men and women that are here gonna put a gift in your hand and when they do, you can put it down. Thank you. Within those of us who follow Jesus and trust Jesus, again, I pray that all of us can see these crises in the world and like the message of the book of Revelation says, see what the Spirit is saying. I think the Spirit is saying, open your eyes to see the darkness. And that's why your purpose is so important. Your purpose of bringing light to your family, to your homes, to your workplaces, to your neighborhood. The Bible says no one who has the light puts it underneath the basket. We let it shine. And so one of the reasons why the world is so dark is because Christians have hid their light. And the world's only gonna get darker, which means we only have to take the light to more places. But if we do, we can know that the darkness has to flee. So don't give up even though it's painful. That's your purpose. Father, would you empower us with your spirit? Thank you for making the light. You said that if we lift you up, you would draw people to yourself. God, our job is not to draw people. That's your job. Our job is just to lift you up, to highlight you, to talk about you. So God, thank you for those that you have drawn to yourself today. And God, I pray that you would draw more to yourself because as you know, God, we have a great crisis and we want this message to go out so that people can know that their greatest crisis has been solved. And we ask you to empower us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.